The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What am I put on this earth to do? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Okay, so that's a big question, right? In case you didn't notice, Reshma Saljani just asked you what you're put on this earth to do. You don't have to answer me now, but just for your light consideration, think about it. In all seriousness, though, it's Women's History Month. I also recently saw it written as Women's Future Month, which I loved. But whether or not you identify as a woman, you're going to get something rich from this conversation because we talked about how everyone can make an impact in a cause they care about on this planet. Reshma's cause is fighting for the rights of women and girls. It's no small feat. She's the founder of Girls Who Code, one of the largest nonprofits in the country. They've taught over 300,000 girls to code. And her TED Talk, Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection, has been viewed close to six million times. In it, she talks about how, as women, we've been taught to be perfect, which really puts us in a gridlock. We can't show up unless we're perfect, but perfection is unattainable, and it's also about as stable as a house of cards. Oh my God, I resonated with this TED Talk. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've been so caught up in wanting to be perfect that I've paralyzed myself. And this double standard that exists for women is very real. I'd also add there's a triple standard for women of color. Right now, Reshma is fighting to remove those unrealistic standards for all of us. And she's reminding us that just because a law gets passed, like getting to vote or being considered a citizen or a human, doesn't mean that we're done with our work. Society and policies still have to change, and individuals must learn to empower themselves. There's a really beautiful meeting point between those two places. Talking with her gave me a bunch of ahas, and it reignited my own sense of purpose, even though hers and mine are different. It also deepened my respect for the people I care about who are fighting for their own causes. Sometimes I get so wrapped up in my own that I forget to take a moment to recognize them. So for those people, you know who you are, I bow to you. I hope this conversation helps you get closer to or more passionate about what you're doing here. Here's Reshma. You know, as I walk this life, like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I'm a Hindu, so I think a lot about, like, Mm. Dharma. I think all of us are meant to have a life with purpose. And it's about how committed are you to figuring out what yours is. And I was just, from the time I was a little girl, really committed to it. And I think fairly blessed in the sense of, like, I had a clear sense of what God had put me on this earth to do. I'm someone who is fascinated by religions Mm. uh, for the purpose of just understanding kind of what you just said, which is like, what are we all on this earth to do? And I I think at their core, most religions are kind of here to help us figure that out. And humans mess that up, right? (laughs) Like we do a lot of stuff to mess that up. Couldn't agree more. But you mentioned Hinduism and it's a path and a religion I haven't spent a lot of time with, but I want to know, like, can you give me the summary of Dharma? (laughs) I mean, I am definitely not an expert in Hinduism to, you know, probably do any justice to it. 
But, you know, so I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita right now. And the Gita starts with a conversation between Krishna, who's one of our gods, and Arjuna. And they're sitting and looking at a battlefield. And on the battlefield are these two families that are fighting. Now, Arjuna is a warrior. And he knows people on both sides of the battlefield. So he says to Krishna, I can't do this. I can't go fight because I'm going to kill either my brother, my uncle, somebody. And then him and Krishna get into this long conversation about some of these fundamental questions. And when you deviate against your dharma, when you start doing things that are not your purpose, you feel anxious, you feel unsettled, you know? And so I really have kind of tapped into this. Like when you said, I think when we started like, what's the running theme of your life? I'm always fighting for the underdog. I am a warrior. And so I constantly try to stand in my purpose. And when I try to deviate from that, when I go chase the shiny thing and be like, oh, that sounds like a great title. I should go run that. I should go do that. I should go start that. Like it doesn't feel right. And I come back to the same thing. Basically, I've been doing since I was 12. I led my first march when I was like 12 or 13. I built an organization called Prejudice Reduction Interested Students Movement. I got better at naming things. But I've kind of like, I've been doing the same thing my whole life. Just a different version of me. It's a different battlefield, but a similar fight. Same warrior. Same warrior. The reason I was thinking about the through thread is because, you know, I myself have been at LinkedIn for 10 years. I've held Mm. nine different job titles. And, you know, I'd say for probably the first five years, I was a bit lost and I had the exact experience of what you said. I felt anxious. It felt wrong. I couldn't pinpoint it, but something wasn't right. And no external force (laughs) would solve that. No thing, no new title was going to change what was going on. It was clearly this kind of inner work. And when I saw the number of different roles that you've had, I think sometimes the perception, and I know this is shifting because of COVID in a lot of ways, but the perception was like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. Are you like, you can't keep a job. What's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? Yeah. Like maybe she just wasn't good at any of the things she did, which was not true. It was just that it wasn't right. And it didn't really get right until about three years ago. And so I I love that you have had a multitude of different things that you've done. And I imagine that for you, it's been because of this purposeful Mm. kind of work, it's been a releasing of holding all these identities from an external, what will people think of me and judge me and an attachment to, you know, the warrior you want to be and not worrying about whatever battlefield it is. Yeah. I mean, I was quitting before it was cool right? Like we're in the middle of like the great resignation, the great quit. Like I was doing that, you know, 20 years ago, because why are people quitting right now? People are quitting, not because they're lazy, not because they don't want to work because they don't have purpose in the job that they're actually in right now. And they're looking for it. And it was the same for me, you know? And I think part of it was because I was a daughter of immigrants. My parents had a very clear sense of what I should be doing, which was very off purpose. And so at a very young age, I was always unsettled. I always felt like I was not ever doing it for me. I was doing it for someone else. Yeah. And so I had the Sunday scariest all of my 20s and my early 30s. And so I think for me, it was when I ran for Congress and had the most extraordinary 10 months of my life. And I got 
crushed that I actually knew what it felt to have joy in my job and in my career. Mm -hmm. And once you get a taste of what that feels like, you don't go back. You don't go back to those purposeless jobs. You can't. You literally can't. And that's what's so devastating about what's happening with women right now. And why I wrote this book, Pay Up, is that a lot of women finally found their purpose, finally found their dharma. And then COVID-19 happened and you got pushed out of the workforce, you know, because we didn't have structures of care. We didn't have affordable childcare. We were always being paid less than what we were worth. We didn't have paid leave. Workplaces have never been built for us, you know? And so they got pushed out, which is why 51% of working women are anxious and depressed. Highest it's ever been. You know, CDC said we're one of the biggest subgroups that are suffering from depression and anxiety. Moms. And of course that is connected from being pulled out of our purpose. You said something in the book that you're just reminding me of, which was when more than 30 years of progress for women in the workforce can be erased in nine months, the underlying system is broken. So, I mean, it's sort of like what you're describing is this is a house of cards. Mm -hmm. It is. And it fell. Yep. It's like we've been on this perpetual seesaw. You know, we have made women believe that there was an express train, you know, to the corner office that if we just leaned in hard enough, if we just girl bossed our way to the top, we would make it. And that's always been a lie. It's always been the big corporate lie of feminism. Wow. So so you're saying that even for the people who are in corporate, the people who are already privileged, right? I mean, I know you talked about this this point in the book where you're like, I'm laying on the floor with like a Lego in my cheek. And I, you know, I had all these great things. It was COVID. I did have a great job. I was at home. I did have a husband I love. I have kids. I can afford healthcare and, and you know, support for my children. And at the same time, I'm like, so not okay. Um, and so what you're saying is, even at the corporate level, even where, you know, these people are making more than, you know, most of the country makes, there's still a lie and kind of an illusion of success. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you, you raise this, Leah, because I have been inundated with so many messages or DMs on Instagram or on LinkedIn from so many women who are in that position, who are privileged, who do have support or some amount of support, maybe even have a partner, Right. And they are still melting every night and still feel like they're barely making it. And part of it is we've been taught to be these ideal mothers and these ideal workers at the same time. I mean, this woman messaged me. She was a, a lawyer, solo practice. You know what I mean? And she has young kids about my age, you know, two and seven. Uh, and she said, you know, during COVID, it just feels like my husband put everything on my to-do. You know, he's just not doing as much as he used to. My practice is barely operating. My kids need so much of me because the schools being open and closed have just decimated, right? Their own self-esteem, right? So my kids are broken. My house is broken. My job is broken. And she's like, I have a support group that I used to go to. And I haven't showed up. And I finally went and she said, you know, the practitioners were complaining about how all these moms who have young kids have just not been coming to meetings because of course the meetings are at 8 a.m. right when drop-off is happening. And, you know, one of the women says, well, why can't they just be like men? And she said, I just died a little inside because even in my community, I got no help. 
right? And so the story that she describes is, I think, a story that a lot of us are feeling right now, you know, that we have are participating in a society that has never been built for us and doesn't feel like they owe us anything. You know, what is so devastating about this moment in particular is we are literally the largest exodus of women leaving the workforce in the history of our nation. Even now, we're almost at a two-year anniversary of the pandemic, and you still have, you know, over 1.2 million women, you know, that are missing from the workforce. The CDC has, you know, sounded the alarm that, again, we are the subgroup whose mental health has declined, you know, the greatest, and our rates of anxiety and depression have skyrocketed. One out of three women are considering leaving the workforce or changing jobs. You talk about the great quit. The most amount of people that are quitting are women. But yet, there's no plan. There's no playbook. You know, no one I know has gotten a note from their employers being like, hey, what do you need right now? Instead, what they're getting is, well, come back to work. And please don't put your kids and interrupt them in our Zoom meeting or ask me for flexibility or support because eh, we need to get back to normal. So, you know, when you're a working mom and you face that amount of lack of empathy, ambivalence, you can't help but feel like, how am I going to survive? And again, this is across the spectrum. You know, again, three out of 10 of American families are run by a single family. Think about those women, right? They don't have a partner. You know, they have a government that's refusing to pass a bill to give them affordable childcare and paid leave. They live in a, you know, in a workplace where less than 10% subsidizes childcare or even gives you predictability if you're an hourly worker on your shift. So like everything is broken. And so I always say like, this is our opportunity to not waste a good crisis, you know, to build the foundation from the ground up, to take our rage to power and start asking for the things that we deserve once and for all. That's a beautiful way to think about COVID in general. What I'm curious about is there's a balance between the system and the individual. Mm. And so I'm always searching for what's the balancing point where we can empower the individual while recognizing the system could take more time than the individual will to empower themselves? Like where where do you find in this kind of brave, not perfect narrative, but also this deep systemic crap we're dealing with that empowerment lives for women today. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I always used to say, let's give women strategies to thrive in the culture as it is mm-hmm. while we are marching and fighting for change. And the individual change here, you know, in my book, Pay Up is about like every woman I know is just burned out. Right. And so while we focus on these larger changes we have to make, right, we got to find ways to help ourselves because that's the only way that we actually get the energy to go march, to fight, to protest, to vote, right? And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is the first thing is like establishing baseline, you know, non-negotiables, right? And it's wild to have to say this, but like so many women are sacrificing their own health or sleep, right? We never cancel doctor's appointments for our kids, but we do it for ourselves all the time. And so, We've got to start setting tangible boundaries. You know, one of the things that I talk about in my own home is like, you know, my husband does nights, I do mornings. And so if I'm sitting around at 6 p.m., you know, and he's getting ready to do bedtime, you better believe in the hall. Be like, hey, can you warm up that battle? Can you just change the diaper? You know, and I literally could just go do it or complain about it. But now I just leave the house and I let him figure it out. You know, and I go for a walk, I go have a drink by myself, like I'm just gone, you know, and so I get my time back. 
But for a lot of women, right, we feel bad doing that, but we're resentful. And so we've got to figure out kind of what are the basics. I'm going on a girl's trip tomorrow. My bag's already packed. It's been packed for three days. <laughs> You're like, I'm already gone. I'm already gone. <laughs> and you better believe Nahal has told me 10 times about how he's going to have to do the mornings and the nights and the tired and this and then that. And, you know, I'm not ordering the groceries. I'm not planning his lunch. I'm not making sure, you know, the babysitter comes just a little bit early. I'm not setting it up for him to not be stressed. I'm leaving on my vacation and you're going to figure it out. You know what I mean? So it's like, because what we do is we take on all this cognitive labor in addition to trying to take care of ourselves and do our jobs. So it then becomes like basically like two and a half jobs. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have time for ourselves or to do things that we want to do. And so I've really tried to just let go of all of that stuff. Not because I'm trying to train him for me. You know, as I've been having a lot of these conversations, Leah, like especially older women have been like, well, I don't understand. Why can't you just tell your husband blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, I don't need another job. My job is not to fix him. It's also not his fault because we live in a society that doesn't encourage men to be caretakers. He didn't learn it. His dad didn't do it. And so I'm very conscious of making sure that my son's are different. And, and I will give the whole credit because in writing this book and having to live, you know, our marriage publicly in this conversation, he's really shifted, you know, and he hasn't shifted just through us and couples counseling. He's shifted through recognizing, oh yeah, society encourages me when I performatively parent and, you know, Instagram posts, so I'm taking my son to school, but all the other stuff that I'm doing that I can't post, I don't post. I still need to do because I want to do it, not because I'm getting praise for it. So what you're saying is that there needs to be a very clear boundary between me and everyone else that I am cognitively or emotionally taking on. Exactly. And it's important to do that because that will also make societal change. You know, mom the martyr is very much part of culture. Mom self-sacrificer is part of culture. You know, when I launched the Marshall Plan for Moms, I got a lot of heat, you know, for people who said, well, you chose to be a mom. You don't get nice things. And we've internalized that, right? Which is why we've been breastfeeding in closets, while we've never asked for support from our employers, while we're, you know, lie and say when we're at work, oh, you know, I got to step out for a minute when we're going to a doctor's appointment or apologize if we have to cut call early when our kids are in the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have been ingrained in us that we are mom, the martyr. Mom, we do everything for everybody and we come last. That is part of the celebration in our nation of being a mom. And so we have got to change that. And by changing that is by creating boundaries with ourselves and then with our employers and then with government, right? So it is a process uh, that we have to put into place. And we have the power. We're going to take a quick break, but here's what I love about where Reshma has taken us. The myths we tell ourselves about what we should be, like the perfect martyr mom and the expectations placed on us to uphold those myths, we can each start the process of breaking those by choosing our own truth. 
And equally, we're responsible for releasing the people that we love, care about, and see in the world from the myths and unreasonable standards that we hold them to. When we come back, Reshma tells us where we go from here. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We're back with Reshma Saljani. Before the break, we were talking about the systems that we're up against. But we've all lived in this world long enough to know that systems can take quite a while to change. So where do we as individuals go from here? One other thing I I heard you say that just connected some dots for me, you talked about the guilt that women feel. And there's been research done that men actually don't reach similar levels of even empathy, which then leads to guilt in a lot of ways, right, Um, until they're in their 50s. Mm. And so some of that research I heard about last year and I was like, oh, my God, Um, unclear why it happens. But what you said is that when we feel guilt – there's then resentment. And when there's resentment, we look to blame, Mm -hmm. right? And so we're frustrated with somebody. We Mm -hmm. need to be angry with someone who's causing this. Mm -hmm. But what we can do to empower ourselves is say, but how am I playing into this? Mm -hmm. And what am I going to ask for differently? I mean, I find it interesting, even in the great resignation, that women rather quit than ask for flexibility or remote work. Right. I mean, I've had so many conversations with girlfriends who are like, you know, I'm not getting this or I'm not getting that. I'm like, well, have you asked for it? And they're like, no, I'm just going to quit. And I'm like, no, 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 Wait a minute here. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you won't get it, like you have to take the practice of saying, I deserve this. I'm going to ask for this rather than form shop for a place that might actually give it to you. And mm-hmm. so I think that that is very much the resentment piece. Right. Like, It's the same thing that happens, I think, you know, with our partners, right? We hold in all of this anger. Well, you should just know. And part of it is because being a good mom is not asking for things. You know, and I talk about this in Brave Not Perfect. It's a time where little girls are taught to be people pleasers. We're taught to avoid conflict. You know, we're taught to be accommodating. And so all of that has basically played in 
to what's happened to us over the past two years. You know, and the messages that we get, I mean, you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, you kept getting these messages like, you know, you should bake banana bread. You should learn how to play the guitar, right? And you saw all these women on Instagram, all these moms on Instagram doing all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, the only thing you're supposed to do is stay alive, right? So we are so susceptible to all of this people-pleasing judgment. And that has really fed in, you know, to the workplace. I think we've been taken advantage of in the workplace because of that. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book is the history of women in work. We were never asked to be there. They've always tried to push us out. So imagine being part of a workplace that was never built for you. It was always built for men. And so we've always been trying to fit ourselves into a space that was never for us. And so we're also very clear about what the rules were, right? I was going to hide my motherhood. I wasn't going to put pictures of my kid on my desk. I wasn't going to tell you that I needed to leave early. I was going to apologize if I did. I was going to you know, organize the office Christmas party. I wasn't going to say anything. I was getting paid 30% less than I should, right? I was going to basically, again, girl boss my way to the top. And then when I didn't get there, because we never did, right? We've never gotten to equality or even had a fighting shot because we've basically been doing two and a half jobs, right? I was going to blame myself. I was going to say, damn, I just wasn't prepared enough. I should have taken another class. I should have basically had more experience, right? And they let us. They let us think that it was about us. And so if anything has showed all of us in this pandemic is that we've always been prepared. We've always been overqualified and we've always been doing too much at home and at work without the recognition or basically being paid. And so now it's time for everyone to pay up, right? Because Hmm. here's the thing, like our economy, we will never recover without us. They need us, period. There's a talent war happening right now. It's like they will never, ever, 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 ever get back to where we need to get to in the economy if they do not have our participation. And we should not participate in a broken system. We should not go back to the way that it was before. We have an opportunity. And the things that we need, it's not rocket science, right? You know, we know what women need in this moment to thrive. And, you know, we need companies to start subsidizing our childcare. Childcare is an economic issue, period. It's not a personal problem. It is like healthcare. And we should be talking about it that way right? Secondly, you know, it's not just about offering paid leave, but it's about getting men to take it. Far too many companies, including companies like Apple, don't have gender neutral paid leave policies. So the only way you're ever going to get to gender equality in the home, right? And stop getting women to do the vast majority of unpaid labor at home is if you create equality from the beginning and you have men and women taking the same amounts of, you know, paid leave and participating in the caretaking of the home. You see this working in the Nordic nations, you know, in the UK, right? The United States is far behind where we need to be in terms of the equality in the home space. And another example I'll just give is just the mental health. Women are not coming back to work the same women that we were January 1st of 2020. We're not. Too much has happened to us. We've experienced and faced too much. And, you know, we as women have, especially as moms, right? Have never been able to say, I can't show up guys. I can't do it today. I can't be your mom today. And so we've never actually given mothers the space in the workplace 
for their mental health. And so we've got to start accommodating and asking moms, what do you need in this moment? What support do you need in this moment? You know what I mean? Don't side eye me if my kid enters my Zoom call. Don't basically deny me the flexibility that I need to take care of my children and myself. Recognize that we have an opportunity to rebuild the workplace and don't just demand that we go back to normal because it's not normal. Women are still the majority of caretakers, you know, of our children. I say this though, you know, with a lot of intensity, but with a lot of hope because I think we can win this fight. The thing that we have got to really lean into is the community that we have with one another and our allies because we are tired. But at the same time, we need to turn that exhaustion into anger, into power. What role does perfectionism play for us as women having to step into this new world? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll talk about myself for a minute and how I'm thinking about this. So I stepped off as CEO of Girls Who Code, you know, in the middle of the pandemic for a lot of reasons, you know, but it was time, but I was also exhausted and I needed a minute. And, you know, I had sacrificed everything to build that organization. You know, I'd have miscarriages and just show back up at work and give a speech. After years and years and years of fertility, I would maybe saw my first child an hour a day. I didn't see him crawl for the first time. I didn't see him take his first step, say his first sentence. I missed everything. And I thought that I had to do that, you know, to be a CEO and to be an excellent CEO. It was going to come as a sacrifice to my children and myself. Now that I'm building Marshall Fund for Moms, I have my second child. I'm not doing it that way. You know, I do bath time. I'm there for every meal. I work out every day. I sleep. I got my whoop. I make sure I get my, you know, my hours. And I have built a bigger organization in many ways in this period of time than I ever built with Girls Who Code. I'm not doing it at the same sacrifice. And it's because I've let go of this perfectionism thing. You know, I've let go of doing it in the way that I thought I had to do it because I was a woman of color and because I had something to prove. I got nothing to prove now. And so I think that that is really important. So I think at this moment, for a lot of women, you may have been in a job that was not right for you or that was not working for you in the way that you needed to work for you. And so I do think in this moment, once we give women a beat, it's almost like I think about moms the same way I think about young people right now who are just so exhausted and I'm like preparing for a commencement speech I have to give. Like, and I'm not going to stand up and be like, go change the world because you're tired. You need to recover and you need to be able to go inward to go outward. And so we have to give moms the opportunity to do that. And then we have to help them figure out what do you want for you? Not for your kids, not for society, because we're always the ones compromising, Right. In COVID, we compromised space. My husband always got the best real estate in the house. We compromised who had to take what hours and what job and move here and there because you were always getting paid more than me, right? So we have to get women into the practice of what do you want to do for you? And that might be like the bravest act, right? For yes. for a woman who's been conditioned, like most of us, to show up and worry about everyone else. You made your sacrifice for this country. This country would have felt it pieces if it wasn't for mothers. Pieces. Now it's your time. So bravery now for women, and as we attempt not to waste a good crisis, is asking themselves what they want 
and empowering themselves. And then it's also, you know, for women like you who are warriors who are on the battlefield to be connecting with and figuring out where and how you have the most influence to change the systemic challenges we have. And it's there. I mean, my LinkedIn community has just blown up on this conversation. It's so amazing because as tired as people are, people are really hopeful. And they're like, yeah, I'm going back to my company and I'm thinking about this. I'm joining this this ERG and I'm doing this. It's like people have tapped into that piece of anger that is healthy and have said, okay, like what should we do? And they're really moved, I think, by this idea of, of paying up, of building workplaces that work for women. LinkedIn is what's in many ways, I'm not just saying this to you because we're talking on LinkedIn, but like <laughs> it is really what's made me feel so hopeful about the opportunity that we have here. As someone who I don't have children and I would love to at some point, but I know a lot of women my age who don't want children. And so I think about kind of that representation across the board. You know, I, I laughed when you said girl boss because I felt like that for a while. Yeah. I was like, I'm doing this. And similar to what you said about the shift is I recognize the value of regeneration yeah. and needing to stop and to approach it differently. And what you said is, I have nothing to prove anymore, and I have a very different way of approaching my work, and yet you've built something arguably bigger than what you built before. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you this. What is the lesson in all this? I mean, the lesson is that workplaces were never built for us and that we have an opportunity to rebuild the foundation in this moment, and so we have got to take it you know, not just for ourselves, but for you and for all the women out there who may want to have kids, may not want to have kids. I mean, in many ways, we've taken away that choice from you because you look at me and you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like so many of the young women are like, I got no support. I got no structures. There's like nothing here, but I am just so hopeful, right? Sometimes things have to get so bad to get better. And that's where we are right now. Like the state of women is the worst it's ever been from what's happening with our reproductive rights, then what's happening with job losses, you know, what's happening to our mental health. And so we've got to figure out how do we not get back to where we were January, 2020, because clearly that's why we're here because the foundation wasn't as strong. But how do we take this opportunity to be like, never again? I mean, decades and decades of fighting for progress and equality and equity, gone in less than two years. And I think because, you know, oftentimes, and I'm going to say this with cynicism, like it's almost like we're being taken advantage of all of our rights, everything, because people can sense that we're vulnerable. And that's why it's also very important to take back this power now and to find any ounce of strength that you have to get back out there. You know, even if it is your company is exploring whether they should do flexibility or remote working, send an email and say, no, I think we need to do this. Gather other people, voice what you want. You know, if you're out there right now competing between two job offers, ask them whether they consider subsidizing childcare. If you're a dad, and you know, it's funny, I mean, if you look at these studies, like, Dads are rather quitting rather than saying, I want to take my kid to school every day. And so, no, I'm not showing up in the office at 9 a.m. You, we rather quit. 
because we gaslight men who care about caring. And so like, there's a lot of things that are broken, but at the same time, we wield the power because every CEO I know right now is on their knees because the talent war is that deep. So let's use this power to like rebuild the workplace. You're leading me back to where uh, we started, which is this concept of dharma. Mm. I'm someone who believes that we all were put on this earth for a purpose as well. And I think we all have some role to play. Like I think of it as puzzle pieces Mm -hmm. um, or like a mosaic, right? You can't have the mosaic without everything in place. Um, And so what you're bringing up, even just in these small acts of bravery, is that there is serious potential and possibility for women, no matter what you believe your impact is, to actually make change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest things that happens when you look at all the problems in the world (laughs) and go, everything's falling apart. What impact could I have? So instead of having an impact at all, I'm paralyzed or I just choose not to look. And what I'm pulling is, could dharma, could a purpose, no matter how small or large that impact is going to be, help us all become the warrior that we were meant to be. I love that, Leah. I love that because it's funny. It's like the fight that we're talking about is the fight in the workplace. And women have never actually organized in the workplace in the way that I am hoping to inspire by this book. And so, yeah, your dharma might simply be asking for flexibility or for a policy change in your workplace or telling the men on your team to take paid leave if we can actually move all of these little policies individually, it's individually us asking for what we deserve. We actually can move women's equality mountains and gain back all of the losses that we've suffered over the past two years. But it's actually, you know, it's funny, it's not a congressional bill. It's not a March on Washington. It is actually this consciousness arising of like, okay, here's all the things that have happened. Here's where we're situated. Here's what you need to do. And they're actually individual acts. Millions and millions of individual acts that will lead to wholesale structural change. Hmm. So I'm going to have you in this, this concept of consciousness. I'd love for you to complete these three statements as we rise up and move towards hopefully, you know, humanity 2.0, better humans are. Kind. Better work is. Flexible. And a better world has. Joy. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show and having this conversation. It was eye-opening and really meaningful. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. You are definitely in your purpose. That was Reshma Saljani, author of Pay Up and Brave Not Perfect and founder of Girls Who Code and now The Marshall Plan for Moms. One big thing before we go, my deep belief is that you are here for a reason. As you've heard from Reshma, the way that reason plays out can change over time. It won't always be a win and it won't always be your career but you'll know it when you've discovered it and you won't be able to help but grow towards it and almost be magnetized by it. 
As my breathwork teacher always says, you do matter, you do make a difference, and you are loved. So do something, try something. No action is still a choice. If today's show helped you on your journey, hop onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. And if the spirit moves you, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential. Send me a message. Let me know how it's resonating. I'd love to hear from you. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien with help from the lovely humans, Jesse Hempel and Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.